Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Little Atoms, a radio show about ideas and culture. With me, Neil Denny. On today's show, Neve Mulvey on her debut collection of short stories. Hearts and Bones, Love Songs for Late Youth. Neve Mulvey is a writer and editor. She has published short fiction in The Stinging Fly, Banshees, Little Atoms and Southward, and was shortlisted for the Sean O'Fallon Prize for short fiction in 2020. She has also written for the Irish Times, The Bookseller, Image Magazine and The Pool. And today we're going to be talking about Neve's debut collection of short stories, Hearts and Bones, Love Songs for Late Youth. Neve, welcome to Little Atoms. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Tell us, first of all, how you would describe this collection, because it has a sort of loose theme. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think the themes definitely emerged from the stories rather than something I thought about and then set out to do, if you see what I mean. So I guess the thing that I started off thinking about was two characters and a feeling of one character looking at another character and feeling somehow kind of like frustrated or or anxious or feeling a feeling of intensity towards the other character they couldn't they couldn't express and a feeling of not understanding that other person but really really wanting to that was kind of the kind of almost like spiritual or emotional sense that I kind of began with and then by the time I kind of ended I could see like the themes that were emerging were to do with like you know motherhood a lot I kind of only noticed recently there's grandmothers in loads of the stories I think every story has a mother and then also the timeline it kind of covers uh sort of turn of the century right up to the present day so I guess um I guess if that answers your question because I don't don't really think it, when I'm starting out as I don't I don't really think in themes I kind of think much more in terms of the feelings of the characters but then obviously the themes sort of emerge and it's always interesting to see that. So tell us something about how the stories came together then in the sort of order that they were written or over what sort of time period. Sure so I um I have been trying to write for a long time you know I I worked in publishing as a commissioning editor so I was in the world of of, immersed in the world of writing and publishing and working with a lot of writers and trying to do my own thing on on the side and I wrote a few novels and I knew that they just weren't that good but I I couldn't really ever figure out why they seemed to have the ingredients and I knew what the ingredients were because I was an editor but there was something really lacking in them and 
you know, I knew that even though I often was kind of in denial about it. And then, then I just got really fed up and was like, right, I'm not going to be a writer anymore. I'm not even going to try. And I also left my job in publishing and I, and I was like, I'm going to do something else and just let go of that whole part of my life. And that felt like a big thing because I think um, my professional identity was very much bound up in being in the writing world in one way or another. But I find once I let go of that, this great sense of sort of freedom and, and, and liberation, and I just was just living my life. And I didn't, I was like, oh, I'm not a writer. I'm not a publishing person. But yeah, I'm still here, <laughs> you know, and it's fine. And, and that's when these stories started to kind of just bloom in my mind. Um, I, and I remember the very first one that I wrote. It's the one that's called First Time in the collection, kind of a, as a, almost a way to remind myself that it was the first one. Uh, even though it's not at all about me. But once I'd written that story and it was an early version and the one that's in the collection has been, you know, worked on a lot. But I wrote really fast the first draft from beginning to end. And and I was like, oh, this is good. Like in a way that nothing before that I've ever written is good. <laughs> so So I was like, wow, that's funny. Like when I stopped trying, it just sort of happened. And then then I was like, okay, don't ruin this with your typical like overthinking. So I, I started then as I kind of felt more stories kind of blooming. Um, I, I really deliberately started thinking of them as, uh, as pop songs and that instead of trying to write a short story, because these short story like capsule letters is so, you know, it's such a thing. It's such a kind of, uh, you know, rarefied form. And, you know, anyone who's able to do it is a genius. And if I thought about it in that way, I just wouldn't have been able to do it. So I just was like, okay, all I'm trying to do is capture this intensity of feeling between two characters and just focus on that and trust that and let the story emerge from that. And once I did that, the stories, they almost kind of wrote themselves. Like I wrote them quite quickly you know, I started probably end of 2019 and then all through 2020, like through lockdown, really the first lockdown, like this time, two years ago, I, I was in the flush of writing these stories. And, you know, by the end of 2020, I think I'd, I'd written all of them. So yeah, that's how it happens. The collection has stories written in first person, third person, even one second person story. Which of those? Very short, though. I'm, I just yeah, to say, just, just a little one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I permit myself just a few pages in second person. Which of those registers do you prefer? Do you think to write? What do you? Which do you feel more comfortable writing in? I think I prefer writing in third person overall, and I prefer to read in third person. I, I think first person is something you have to handle very carefully. You know, it feels, I've worked with like beginner writers or even children who are learning to write stories. If you kind of give them the power of first person, it can be quite like, it's almost like a shot in the arm. It gives you a lot of energy because you're straight into the, you're behind the eyes of the character. But what what you do then though is 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 you lose any um, any kind of context or any kind of sort of solidifying environments and, and it becomes just pure voice. and you know, that's, I don't like to do that. You know, I think you have to be careful to sort of balance that out with other kind of, I don't know, stabilizing realities within the story, if that doesn't sound too wacky. So for me, it's easier, I think, and I feel like I'm more in control when I'm writing in third person. But the thing that makes first person challenging is also the thing that makes it really wonderful. And it's it's a little bit, um, what's the word? It's kind of, um, makes you feel a bit drunk or something writing in first person it's just it's just very powerful and I think holding back 
that power for too long is kind of exhausting in a way. So for me, like I'm writing a novel at the moment and it's, it's in third person. I, I don't think I could do it in first person. It would be too much, if you see what I mean. It's like it has to be almost like diluted in some way. Not all of the stories are set in Ireland. There's some within, I mean, I'm presuming Irish diaspora in London, although maybe that's yeah. just an assumption on my part. And then there's, there's, there's one story that's set with somebody travelling into yeah. France. But in the main, in Ireland, in, as you've said, the sort of 21st yeah. century, so a period that's in the main post the financial crash, post the Celtic Tiger thing. Um, there's been a financial crash. There's very, relatively recently, as he's mentioned in one of the stories, has been the um, the uh, abortion referendum. And there's obviously Ireland is a lot more of a secular place now mm-hmm. than it once was. So tell us something about how the contemporary Ireland is filtered through these stories. Yeah, definitely. So like I, I came of age like around the early noughties, you know, about 20 years ago. That's when I was finishing school secondary school and it was kind of an amazing time you know a lot changed very very quickly so in the last I I remember very vividly being in secondary school and being in a I think it was a business studies class so I must have been like around 14 and I remember one of the teachers saying something like you know something's going on with the economy (laughs) it's doing really really well and then there was this like whoosh of kind of money and energy into the country at that time, like the Celtic Tiger. And even though I was, you know, basically a child or a a teenager, I could still feel it. I could feel the difference. And, you know, I've always been really interested in in history. I I studied history at university, but even then I I was always very aware that my life was very different to my parents' lives and that I had a lot of opportunities that they didn't, like almost like like drastically so. And I always kind of knew that that generational change was really unusual. And so I, I think, you know, for a long time, I kind of wanted to write about that, but couldn't really get a grip on it. And I couldn't really figure out a way to to write about it, I think. And, you know, the crash happened, like, I guess, 10 years after that, like sort of 2007, 2008. And that was another change but that felt like it happened more gradually like the the Celtic Tiger felt very sudden and it's only now I think I think the age I am now in my late 30s I think it's a really great age to write because you have enough and and to write about because you have enough like time behind you to really to have seen history happen and by history I mean for things to have changed for like the political and economic reality that you live in to have changed and I think I've seen those changes play out and I can kind of understand them a lot more. And then in terms of my own personal history, I can I can see, you know, my own intellectual and personal development and also changing my mind about things and and just like reflecting on events in my life and my very ordinary, <laughs> like humble kind of regular life and 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 just how things have, have changed in that way too. So I guess I guess I am interested in how, you know, you have this top level of history and society. Uh, and kind of big grand changes and then you have everybody just kind of scrambling along underneath that trying to like do their best and maintain their relationships and and figure out their own ways through life so yeah Ireland's the collection is about the first two decades of the 21st century and that's been a real whirlwind of change for Ireland and, and it and it's just really really interesting to write about it but I think I could only do it now I think I can only kind of really get a grip on it now and start like looking back on it with any kind of sense of understanding or or coherence 
And there's that political and social context, but also this yeah. is obviously an age of last 20 years is obviously the age of, of the internet and social media. Yeah. While this book is not necessarily located specifically in, you know, social media and stuff, mm-hmm. a lot of the characters throughout the book are, are often struggling with their own identity and don't necessarily feel themselves to be like a, a real whole person. And I wonder yeah. if you'd tell us something about that as well. Yeah, I don't know, actually. A few people have, have said that, and I'm kind of not really sure what to say about that. <laughs> um, I think I think the stories are, like, uh, you know, the building blocks of, of each story was a relationship, like a specific relationship. And I think, you know, if the story is about a change of some kind, the change that needs to be enacted in each story it is on the terrain of whatever relationship that I'm writing about. And I do think that, I think we are more than the sum total of our relationships, but I I think our relationships are a huge, huge part of of who we are. And if some of those relationships, the important ones, feel out of line or disjointed, then we ourselves can feel um, the way you put it was like not whole or like our identities are incomplete. I'm not really interested in in identity as such. Um, I'm much more interested in um, interactions and in relationships and in who we are with each other I'm very I'm very interested in this very simple way that we're different with each and every person you know like people solicit different things from us and I'm just very interested in that like what is it about that kind of alchemy that makes you different in, in different interactions and that kind of energy between people is what really fascinates me as a writer and then you know that's what I choose to pay attention to and then from that then Things like identity, I guess, emerge from there. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You're listening to Little Atoms. I'm Neil Denny. Today I'm talking to Neve Mulvey. We're talking about her debut collection of short stories, Hearts and Bones, Love Songs for Late Youth. And Neve, let's now in the second part look at some sure. of those stories more closely. And I want to talk first of all about the the first story, Mother's yeah. Day, which is a sort of tense meeting between a mother, a mother and her adult daughter, and her yeah. daughter has married into money basically, and yeah. it's caused tension between them. Tell us something, something about this story. This story is <laughs> like I don't know what it is about this story, but it sort of breaks my heart every time I read it, and that's a weird and maybe slightly sort of egotistical thing to say about my own work, but it's just the truth. It just there's. I just really feel the pain of the daughter in this story. And because I identify so much with the story, I feel the need to just say that, like, I have a really great relationship with my own mother and it's not, it's not about that. So I, I'm kind of puzzled in some ways as to why it has such an effect on me. But I really do feel the desire of the younger woman to kind of recover the past connection that she and her mother has. And when I was writing it, again, it kind of just blooms like, like the other ones. I just... I had this just sense, I just, I was like this mother and this daughter and they're meeting in a, in a gallery. And, and, and that was all I knew. And, and they hadn't spoken in a while. And then, and I felt it was a London story. And I remember the day I, I thought it up, I dreamed it up. I was, I was wondering, I was going to buy something off somebody as I had to travel across South London. And I was just sort of, I could just feel it. And it just kind of came very effortlessly. And I think it's definitely, you know, the kind of, again, the themes that are there, you know, I can see where they come from just in terms of, you know, money and the art world and the kind of, you know, living like I'm, it's a London story. The story, I like the, the characters could be Irish descent or maybe not. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. They're, they're Londoners, I think. And I think an interesting thing to witness it as a non-Londoner and not a British person is, is just how much money there is in this city and, and, and how, you know, I've, I've met a lot of people since living here from all walks of life and I have met people who have a lot of money and it's just very interesting to me just on a human level like what that does to your life and your relationships and how it can be actually quite distorting and 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 you know cause a lot of pain especially if you didn't initially come from money and yeah and then the stuff about the art world I'm I'm interested in that as well like there's a lot more money in the art world I think than there used to be and that also interests me as well and then the next one in, I wanted to get you to say something about is the story of blackbirds which is oh, yeah. in this case about a brother and sister growing up together in the countryside and then growing apart as they grow older 
yeah again I, I can't remember exactly what inspired that story I think something somebody told me about um their sister or their, their brother this one a lot of people talk like seem to notice this one and it stays with them and again I was just thinking about that I guess it's called possibly I have two young children a boy and a girl and you can see the just the beauty of that relationship and being a child is just such a magical thing you know it's and being a child alongside another child i.e siblings that only happens once you know in your life and it it can never be repeated or, or recreated and whether or not you're close to your siblings if you do grow up together there's always going to be something very powerful there between you and, and I'm kind of interested in more broadly I, I guess there's a lot I think there's a lot in this story about like adult anxieties around what types of childhood we should give our children and what kinds of parents we should be and I think in the you know I, I just don't know <laughs> the answer to that question at all and you know on the one reading of this story you could think of the sister you know, she she turns out to be this really good student and she becomes a doctor and she goes off and, and succeeds in a very conventional way while leaving her brother behind. And he really struggles and he's like got mental health problems and he's kind of he never leaves that the world they grow up in. And is that and like I think maybe there's a sense in the story that it might be the mother's like fault, quote unquote, because they have this kind of hippie to be mother who doesn't get really too involved in, in there and lets them kind of run free as children. But then I feel like at the end of the story. I think there's a sense that the qualities that the brother has kind of come into their own in some way. And I guess, you know, one way I think about it is that you never kind of know what kind of qualities the world is going to reward at any one time or in any one culture. And and it just so happens that for the girl, her society really rewards some of the qualities that she has. But then I think at the end, there is a sense that the quieter qualities that her brother has, they also have their value and have their worth in a different way but as you know coming back to that question of like I think I was driven as a parent while writing that just a sense of kind of like almost like helplessness because you just you want so much for things to be okay for your children but like the reality is that we do have very little control of how things will turn out for them. The next story I wanted to talk about is The Doll which features... I guess we should just talk about what it is about ventriloquist dummies because they are always... (laughs) even though Stuart as he's called in this book this is in the main a story about another young man who has a mental health problem Stuart doesn't really do anything but he still remains a sinister presence (laughs) hanging over the story yeah like Stuart again I did not sit down that day to write a story about a ventriloquist dummy I I sat down again the same thing I keep saying I was thinking about this young man and his feelings towards this young woman. And, you know, I, I wrote the first paragraph of that story almost as it's, is, as it's ended up. It hasn't changed that much. And it's a very, like, I, ha- I have, like, my one of my big flaws as a writer is I can be quite internal and, like, write a lot of, like, just people turning over their thoughts. And I get frustrated with myself when I do that. And so I was, I could feel myself doing that as I was writing this story. And I was just like, I need something really tangible and real to sort of, get me out of this just sort of abstract meandering mode and, and it was like it almost wrote itself he was I think the line I wrote was so he was getting into ventriloquism as a way to handle it all you know and it was almost me trying to get myself into ventriloquism as a way to get a handle on, on the story or something and then 
as the story unfolded, I just trusted the doll. I trusted Stuart to lead the action. Because of, I think sometimes when you're writing, if you really trust and are open, the writing itself can kind of give you answers that you didn't at all expect. It. And, I, and I felt like Stuart was like this, almost like this gift and I had to follow him. And he would show me the way, as it were. And he did, which is really creepy, as I was saying out loud. <laughs> and it is a very creepy story. And, and a lot of people have said to me that, they, that it really freaked them out. But I don't feel that creeped out by it for some reason. It doesn't really scare me, this story. But that's another interesting thing about uh, the story about the mother and daughter in the museum or in the gallery again. A lot of people really, really dislike the daughter character in that story and and that really surprised me because when I wrote it I could just all I could feel was the daughter's feelings I couldn't really feel anything from the mother's point of view because I'm so in her head but readers seem to feel the mother's pain a lot more which is really amazing and interesting and fantastic because I think if you can make something that means something different to someone who's reading it I, I think it means it's probably more alive I think but yeah Stuart is um he is one creepy guy and just to finish off in, on the stories, can you just tell us something about the, the title story, Hearts and Bones, as well, which is um, the, yeah. the last story and I think the longest story? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that one grew in a sort of interesting way. I, you know, I think it was one of the last ones I wrote and I was kind of in this really kind of almost like heady feeling of writing because I, I felt like the stories were, were coming very easily and I knew that they were strong. And, uh, you know, I could see that like a lot of the stuff I was writing about was coming from my own adolescence. So I was like, OK, let's let's go there. Let's let's sort of see what else is there. And then the story is it's the same name as a Paul Simon song. And initially and I, I really loved that song when I was a teenager. So that that was sort of the starting point. And initially I had this like really dreadful idea, which was to because uh, <laughs> the song that song is about Paul Simon's relationship with Carrie Fisher. So I thought maybe I should write a story from her point of view. And so I read her novel about their relationship. It's called Surrender the Pink. And then I realized, oh, well, I don't need to write a story now because she wrote a novel about it. And it's a pretty good novel as well. Really funny and sad and interesting. So then I was like, okay, I need to actually just be a bit more honest and and brave and, and look at what was going on for me when I was listening to that song a lot. And you know that that's what I did really and I I kind of obviously I didn't it's not an autobiographical story you know it's about a a young girl who who gets pregnant while at secondary school but like that I at that time like 2002 it was a very really really interesting time now looking back on it as I said it was this time of great like economic energy and a lot of things were changing in Ireland there was a lot of partying like a lot of celebrating a lot of drinking like we drank so much as teenagers like Irish people have always drank a lot but I think that time we did even more and it was just all a bit it was quite hedonistic but it was also you know we were still quite a Catholic country and had slightly different attitudes but basically it just ended up there was just quite a lot of teen pregnancy at that time and I, I also think in the UK as well I was looking back at you know while researching the period and I'd forgotten but there was just all this stuff in the news about how the Spice Girls getting pregnant was like triggering like teenage pregnancies across the land. And I, I'd sort of forgotten that. So it was a really interesting time to write about. And 
yeah that that's kind of what led me there so so yeah it's about this young girl and it's, it's quite a classic and sort of maybe almost conventional story I think in a lot of ways because it is about a young woman figuring out who she is and uh, making like quite a few big mistakes along the way the first draft of the story so the story in the book is all set in 2002 the first draft took place in 2002 and then like 2019 2020 like contemporary times and you see that character as a grown-up and you you sort of see the consequences of that time playing out in her life now but then I realized for it to work as a story it needed the the lens needed to be sort of more narrowed on the relationship between her and her spiritual religious mentor Martina so I kind of it kind of started off bigger but maybe a bit too sort of broad and not quite focused enough and then I kind of brought it back and focused it much more directly on their relationship and I, I hope I hope it works like that it's um it's also the basis for my novel. That story in my novel, which is coming out next year, is based on that story and those characters as well. Well, that was going to be my next question. So you've <laughs> um, you've answered that. So, um, yeah, that's the the amendments, which is okay. um, going to be published by Picador next year as well. Yeah. We'll obviously talk about that at the time when it comes out. Can I get you to finish off by reading us something from one of the stories? Sure, yeah. So to read Mother's Day. I was due to meet my mother at a gallery in the centre of town. I hadn't seen her in five years and I hoped she would think that I looked better than she had expected. As I got ready, I noticed the ways my body was getting all warm. The skin on the insides of my elbow joints and around my eyes was starting to become thin and papery, like the wings of a moth or some other flimsy flying thing. But I didn't really mind because it reminded me of her, of the age she had been when I had first known her. Although I flatter myself, of course, I was born to a 24-year-old and I am now in my early 40s. A fresh wind blew in and shook the early blossoms off the trees in the garden, and everything in my house was beautiful and well-made, and I saw it all with her eyes before I left to meet her. The children were at school, my husband was at work. It was a Tuesday. It was quiet on the street as I walked the tube. It was mid-morning. I had a wonderful life that I had not earned, and everything we owned pointed to that fact, and so I could not invite her to sit here among my things and drink coffee from the little cups we had bought in Istanbul two summers ago. It was her fault that I had so much. She taught me to think of myself as special, and so I found myself working on a fine arts magazine, passionate, broke, and ridiculously, embarrassingly pretty. I didn't know anything then about how money wraps itself around art. I didn't know that when a nice young man whose father was on the board fell for me, people would smile and nod in a way that showed this was no surprise, that this was the way things were. I didn't know anything and she didn't teach me. So it was her fault and it was my fault. And that's why things went the way they went. And that's why I hadn't seen her in five years. I found out I was pregnant again on the day I got the message from my mother asking me to meet her. And for a while, I thought of it all as a gorgeous coincidence that lit the way towards a possible reconciliation. But when I saw her sitting in the cafe near the wing of the gallery that I remembered all too belatedly had been built by pharmaceutical blood money, I realised that this meeting was not about me or my body and its new life at all. It was about her and her body and its old, tired, ebbing life. And I felt irritated by the way she had shown me up already and again for being thoughtless, self-absorbed and silly. She was sitting quietly in front of the scone on a cup of tea. Her hair seemed to be gone. She wore a scarf over her head. I sat down in front of her. She reached out her hands. I put mine over them. Her face showed the impact of illness and I was momentarily unable to speak. I need some of his money, she said, and I nodded. I'm pregnant, I said, and she laughed. 
I smiled back and she looked at me as if she were proud for one tiny second. Spring is the best time of year to live in the city. Always makes me think of our old flat side of the river, the place of my very earliest memories. I have the sense of a pram under a tree and the breeze moving through the leaves, making shadowy flickers over a blanket. And I think maybe I'm lying under that blanket. I can close my eyes and be in this moment, but I am afraid to do it. I have a sense of the young woman that was her moving around near me, under the tree, getting something from me. There was music somewhere. The neighborhood we lived in was noisy and full of people from everywhere. People who had nothing much except those lovely streets of crumbling Victorian terraces near a park. I never went to that part of the city anymore. I didn't need to. I'd risen above it, and still in my mind, it was wrapped up in the past, with being just the two of us, as it was throughout those days. So I've been talking to Neve Mulvey. We've been talking about her collection of short stories, Hearts and Bones, Love Songs for Late Youth, which is published by Picador in the UK. Neve, thank you so much for taking the time to share it with us. Thank you so much, Neil. Thanks for having me. This episode of Little Atoms was produced, presented and edited by me, Neil Denny. Little Atoms is hosted by Acast and published by 89up. The show is broadcast on Mondays and Saturdays on Resonance 104.4 FM. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.